The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, draft.com. Draft in your app store. Great way to play daily fantasy sports. Snake-style drafts, just the way you like them. Then they brought you the auction drafts. Then they brought you the best ball drafts. That's what they're killing it with these days. They got some great NFL ones, $25 entry, million-dollar top prize, and much, much more. But you can do weekly NFL. They have MLB, NBA, golf. It's so much fun over there at draft.com. And if you're new to draft.com, use SD Sports when you make your first deposit. SD as in dog sports when you make your first deposit. And you'll get entry to a $3 tournament of your choice. Any type of tournament, auction, best ball, snake style, you name it, they got it. Draft.com, draft in your app store, promo code SD Sports. Also, if you give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. Would really help the podcast out it go. It would mean a ton to me to take a couple minutes out of your day. I'd really, really appreciate it. With all that being said, welcome to this edition of Bench with Bubba, episode 184 with Dan McNamara of Pitcher List. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 184 gonna talk some more fantasy baseball uh recent mlb news a little bit of fantasy baseball value all-stars have a little fun with the all-stars getting announced over the weekend and as always on monday recapping the weeks that was in tgfbi fab in order to break it all down got a special guest from a, a good website that we're friends with at pitcherlist.com find his work on twitter at danny hot takes dan mcnamara how you doing man I'm doing good, Bubba. It's, a, it's an honor to be on here. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're, you're here to join me. I, I enjoy the Twitter interactions we have and uh, all the, the stuff you, you throw out there, uh, not just towards me, but towards just in general. A lot yeah. of good content. Uh, before we get into everything, why don't you let everybody know what you got going on and what you're working on? Yeah, so uh, I'm part of the, uh, the Going Deep team over at uh, PitcherList. And I'm not putting out as frequent of articles as some of the uh, some of the more active writers over there. We got we got quite a few. Uh, I know you had Nick Jurley, and 
and uh, Dan Richards on earlier in the season. Uh, those are two guys who are quite active over on the site. Uh, I've actually been doing quite a bit of work on the side with with Nick Jurley, uh, helping him kind of build out the realm of two-strike percentage, which is something that he developed earlier this year. Uh, so I've been helping him expand a little bit and dive into sort of the uh, the beauty of the realm around that particular area. Uh, and I'll occasionally throw out a deep dive on a player that I find interesting. Uh, and other than that, I'm uh, I'm spending a little bit of time here and there on our hitter-focused podcast, uh, On the Barrel. Uh, if you know Nick and Alex Fast over on On the Corner, we've got the hitter-specific podcast On the Barrel that's hosted by Jonathan Metzelar. Uh, I'll join him quite frequently as a co-host there. Uh, but yeah, looking to just, whenever I see something interesting, I tend to just put it in my drafts folder and start going to work. Yeah, no, that's the way to do it. There's always something interesting, something fun you can chat about. So uh, it's really good stuff you guys have going on over there. The going deep stuff's great. And I didn't know you were you're working with Nick on that uh, two-strike deal because I've talked about him on the show before. And I even DM him every once in a while asking him questions on it because I'm trying to. I think it's a very, very valuable stat that's still kind of getting fine-tuned, as you know, as you're working on it, that uh, there is something there that we could definitely utilize. So be exciting to see as, as it keeps growing and building. I know he wants to uh, try to do different things with it. Now, now that I know you're doing it too, that, uh, that makes it even more interesting. I didn't know there was behind the scenes, but I should have known because it's, it's a lot of work for one guy. To do on yeah. Own, it's so. uh yeah, it's actually, it's pretty cool. I, he, he came up with the idea, which, you know, intuitively it, it just made so much sense, but it was, it was kind of funny to think that nobody had actually put a high level statistic around that concept of getting ahead and uh, the big thing that I dove into, because uh, uh, Nick and I are actually both based up here in Boston. So me and him will actually, okay. you know, face to face each other pretty frequently. And uh, my expansion was into the realm of two strike whiff percentage. So uh, it, it kind of dawned on me and Nick that called strikes, called third strikes don't happen very often. You, you kind of you see a lot of things in baseball and you you know, you see a called third strike every night and you think it's just, it's just normal. But if you look at called strike percentage with two strikes, it's only about three to 4%. So if you're going to get strikeouts, you got to be able to get whiffs with two strikes when guys are protecting. And if you can kind of merge those two together, which is how quickly and frequently do I get ahead along with how effective am I at getting swings and misses, then you've got yourself a really, really kind of a bright star in the making. And, and you can, find guys like the Giolitos, the Matt Boyds. Um, there are other little sleepers like Jordan Lyles who are sort of in that realm trying to figure some things out. So uh, pretty cool stuff. And, and uh, the one thing that I'll plug is that uh, Nick did work with one of our good, uh, one of our great data scientists, David Fanko over at Pitcher List to finally get a public two strike percentage leaderboard up on Tableau. So me and, him are, me, and him, me and him are promoting that uh, pretty much every day now. And we're going to try to get as many people tuned in as possible. That, is all, that was my very next question because that was one thing I yep. I almost bug him weekly. Hey, you got that sheet ready yet? I'm like, I'm not trying to be a pain. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a pain because I couldn't do it because I'm computer. It's amazing I can do a podcast. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and um, so I, I got, I'm like, I'm trying not to be mean, but I can really use it in one location and make my life so much easier. I know you're working yeah, on it. How awesome. close are you? <laughs> and so that's <laughs> awesome to hear because it, like between that, like I've, I've talked to Alex Fast about the CSW. And, you know, there's a ton of new stats that are out. And so it can be overwhelming too many at times and I try to have each person when I see a new stat and it looks interesting I, I haven't come on the show and we like to talk about it and you know each stat has its own spot I guess you could say in the realm of fantasy baseball and just baseball in general depending on how you want to break it down and you're not going to use them all to evaluate something but you can use each one in its own way to make 
a good argument is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And I think this, like you said, like the fact that I bet you a lot of people did not know how much you need a whiff percentage after two strikes. Like that little things like that goes so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. And, so. and, 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 and you're absolutely right, by the way, the, this concept of, of, you know, wanting to find these high level statistics that for lack of a better term can let us be a little bit more lazy in our analysis. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the year of stats over at PitcherList. First of all, we, we, you know, we've got, Two strike percentage and CSW called strike called strikes plus whiffs, which are two tremendous statistics that can really be used hand in hand to kind of figure out who's got potential in one versus who's mastered the other. And uh, the w- one thing that I'm really starting to find interesting is that with these high level statistics, especially around pitching, I'm starting to realize exactly how much different success in hitting and pitching is. Because if you were to look at CSW percentage and two strike percentage for hitters and how that actually correlates to success, whether it be your expected WOBA, your WOBA, your X slug, whatever it may be, the correlation is like microscopic, whereas it correlates to pretty much more than half of your success as a pitcher. So it's it's really, really interesting to kind of see the difference in the two realms. And right now I'm starting to garner a real deep interest in, you know, what are those numbers that we can apply to hitting? So that we can really start to figure out what makes a hitter not just you know streaky good, but like remarkably and unfragilely good. Yeah, and that's outstanding. I, I had uh, Aaron Sassetta, the creator of Aces, on uh, like a month or so ago. Yeah. It was it was shortly after I had like Alex Fast on, and I remember asking him flat out, like, "I'm all a lot of what you're doing, and a lot of what Alex is doing, and I'm like, you could almost use these together." find a correlation somewhere and really kind of take it to the next level. I know he's open to that kind of things as these, these stats continue to get developed. And I'm not going to speak for him because who knows what he's doing now, but I know it's a way like with all these stats that are coming out and they, they can go so well together like you said, with two, two strike percentage and CSW. If we just keep inter, interweaving things without overdoing it, if that makes sense to some, I think we can really fine tune it and like make this, it might be kind of overwhelming to some, but just like this awesome like tableau sheet or something with just boom, we have this, we can, you know, decipher with this, this, this stat. And I think it'd be pretty darn awesome to really, yeah, I, I think, I think this, I think this off season is going to be a ton of fun with everything that you guys are doing and other people are doing because, you know, as football's going on, the real baseball nerds, we enjoy the downtime to do, to find things, to, to kind of find our niche on what we're looking forward to next season. Yeah. And I think these stats will blossom even more during that. I period. think so too. So, all right, I, I could probably sit here and talk to you for another forty-five minutes on this, but uh, <laughs> we do have a podcast, dude. But that's why that's why I love getting to meet new people. That's why it's fun. Yep. And um, there, there's a lot of a lot of great minds out there that not enough of us know. Like uh, we all get to know more and more people every day. It's it's pretty awesome. But we'll do some recent MLB news. And I, I told Dan before the show, I'm just going to mention this real quick. We are not going to delve into this at all. Um, Tyler Skaggs. It was about a couple hours before we were going to record. Uh, we found out he passed away today, so the Angels-Rangers game was canceled. Our thoughts and prayers are out with the, the, the Skaggs family. He was recently married this offseason. He's 27 years old. And the Angels family, who it just seems tragedy, finds that, that club way too often. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into anything fantasy-wise or anything. That could be on a later show or some other show, but I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, if you had any thoughts, Dan, you can, you can welcome him here, but uh, I'm not going to go too far into this. Oh yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I mean, what can you really say? It's it's a horrible situation for anyone to have to deal with that. Uh, and you know, you, you always want to kind of help at a time like this, but you know, the best you can do is just 
you know, empathize with the family, empathize with his wife, empathize with the organization, you know, dealing with this again, you know, just absolutely tragic. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just empathize with the team and, you know, hopefully they can kind of move past it and start getting back to playing some good baseball. Yep. We saw it with the Marlins recently and just, it's happened many times. So it's, uh, it's tough when it happens anytime, but during the regular season, it's going to be really, really tough on these guys. But uh, yeah. yeah, just think about them, give them your thoughts. But uh, it's really no way to segue out of that, but I'm going to anyways. Um, London took place over the weekend. Uh, you had all the London calling jokes and all that fun stuff on Twitter. Uh, I got to watch it sporadically as I was at a wedding all weekend. But one thing I did notice, it looked like football scores up there, not London's type football, our type of football, yeah. man. And it was crazy, and I've seen many explanations for this, but just just for fun, it doesn't have to be a super deep analysis unless you you found some inf- interesting things out. I've seen the wind factors and all those things. Just what was your overall thoughts about baseball in London? Do you think it's a good idea? I know it was only the first time, but like, did you enjoy what you saw over there? Uh, to a point, uh, I mean, being a Voight owner everywhere was it was pretty good, but but <laughs> the uh, but you know, outside of that, I, you know, it just seemed as if you know, the, this concept of the juice ball is just starting to just come to the forefront more and more. And, uh, you know, I, I've put out a couple of, a couple of tweets recently talking about the increase in barrel rate and the increase in home run to fly ball rate league wide. And, uh, you know, the evidence is starting to pile up and, and, and who knows, like, like I don't want to speculate too much about, you know, the goings on of the MLB and what they're trying to do to, you know, create more offense or whatever it might be. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you wanted to take like a, a, a more comical spin on it, it looked like they were trying to get like they were trying to get like a cricket type thing going on over there. You know what I mean? Like, like just just long games and high scores and, and just seeing if we could get the ball hit far, high and long. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to a point you enjoy it. But personally, I'm the guy who would much rather sit back and watch Scherzer face off with sale than watch, you know, 30 runs go up on the board and that might just be me it might not be the common fan and, and who knows what marketing research the mlb's got working but uh you know it's always it's always good to see you know stars shining bright and there are plenty of them over there with, with the boston and new york but uh for the most part uh yeah just it kind of kind of kind of weird is, is the is the best word i could use to describe it yeah i remember when i, I on saturday i knew it had started i was doing something so i, I wasn't tuned in yet next thing i know i look and i'm like okay the game started about an hour ago Oh, it's still the first inning at six to six. I'm like, okay. I thought like my phone had a glitch or something. Yeah. But no, it was just, it felt like just by watching the highlights and it looked like an NBA all-star game where no one played defense. It was just batting <laughs> practice. It was really weird. Like you, you can read all the explanations on, you know, the, the way they built the stadium and this, that, and the other. Um, they've already obviously committed next year to uh, Cardinals and Cubs over there. I did not see if they are using the same stadium. I think maybe they'll try a different, maybe they'll try a soccer stadium that might be a little built a little differently. We'll see. But uh, it, it, I, I understand the reasoning for trying to expand the brand. I didn't think, I didn't think England was necessary for the brand. I thought things were okay over there, but I could be totally wrong. We'll see. But it, it was fun to see, but I'm with you. I want like a pitcher's duel or I'll give me like a three to one ball game where you get a little bit of offense, but there's strategy involved. This didn't seem like a lot of strategy. So, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of tough. But, all right, let's talk some news here. Kyle Hendricks will be returning from the 10-day IL on Tuesday, a little little sooner than some thought. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, Mike Montgomery, Tyler Chadwick been filling in. Albert Alzale was filling in. But he got shelled on Monday night. So, we'll see how that goes. As he can get sent back down. Uh, what's your thoughts on Kyle Hendricks? Because he's been kind of their ace in the staff. Yeah, I mean – 
I I love watching that dude pitch. It, it's it's just so much fun to watch to watch him command the edges of the strike zone. Uh, he's I mean no surprise he's leading the league in called strike percentage. Um, he's just so good at dotting the corners early in counts, getting ahead. Uh, and he's just been, he's been so good since probably about four starts into the season. He had a really rough start to the year. And since I think it's since like May 3rd or something like that, he's got like a two, five, seven ERA and a, and a low one whip. Uh, so he's just been dominating and, and he, he kind of throws me for a loop because, you know, at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing that correlates to success for a pitcher in terms of their, their output in the ERA is strikeout minus walk rate and Hendricks does not walk a lot of guys but he also doesn't strike a lot of guys out and so he's sort of middle of the pack in terms of that that separation but he just finds ways to induce that weak contact and and find a lot of success year over year so I love I love watching him pitch I'm excited to see him back out there yeah no it'll be fun to see out there the Cubs could definitely use him right now because like I mentioned you know Alzale is not he's struggling he was pretty good his first two times today was the struggle bus and then Cole Hamels, he recently went on the IL with a like a oblique injury, which is not good because he's been pitching great. Um, if we're talking Cole Hamels, what do you? I, I doubt you're dropping him as an owner, but what are you doing with a guy like Cole Hamels? Assuming you know you don't have injury space or stuff like that. I mean, I'm probably holding him. I I am really thrilled to see his changeup come back. I'm actually a native Philadelphian, so I, I saw near Hamels. <laughs> oh man, and and that that particular pitch was just—it it was one of the most dominant pitches I've ever seen. Uh, he could throw it at any time, in or out of the zone, to any hitter, and he could find ways to have success with it. And it was coming back this year. The whiff rates were were much higher on it. He was using it super effectively, and it, he's been good enough. And the pitching landscape is just so much of a—you know—it's it, it's so much of a shot in the dark. You're just throwing darts at a dartboard these days. It feels like, if, unless you own some of the unicorn aces. So. Uh, you know, he. I think the latest news was that he has a bit of a setback. I know it's an oblique injury. I haven't actually looked into exactly which oblique it is, uh, and I'm. I am actually a personal trainer by trade, so I do like to kind of put the puzzle pieces together in terms of what rehab could look like there. Uh, but I'm probably holding on to Hamels until I get news that he's, you know, not going to help you down the stretch. Yeah, I'm with you because some of those obliques can be pretty. Pretty rough when they come back. But yeah, we have. I even the article I was just reading to get ready for this. I haven't seen any definite information yet so it's tough to really tell there uh the oakland athletics this is a shame because they're really battling back to get the wild card race uh steven piscotti goes on the il with a sprained knee slid into second base had to get helped off the field it was not pretty um hopefully it's not super super serious but you know um you got the likes of chris davis who's been struggling a bit but they called up franklin barreto and they've been transitioning to the outfield because you know there's no room for him in the infield he's actually playing pretty well in triple a what do you? What's your interest in a guy like Franklin Barreto right now? Uh, it's interesting. He's he's got a little bit of pop, and and when I see that, especially nowadays, I, I tend to kind of buy into it because you know they these guys from AAA come up to major league, they use the major league ball, and all of a sudden the ball starts flying. So there there's a there's a bit of interest, but. You know, I'd have to be somewhat desperate to go out and get him, to be honest, because at the major league level, he's just had such he's been so ineffective in terms of his plate discipline. He he swings and misses at so much. He has a hard time making contact. And if we want to see those power numbers come to the forefront, we've got to see him first make contact with the ball. So um, there's probably some room, I think, in deep leagues, maybe 15 teamers. He's he's definitely worth going after. Um, 12 teamers honestly it, it, unless you're you're really desperate you've got some injury situations you got to fill 
I'm, I'm probably not going to be super active going after him. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Like, he was once a big-time heralded prospect, and he just hasn't put it together yet. Getting another shot, play the outfield, which is it's good to see he's still getting a shot. But it's just so hard with, A, your fab budget's probably pretty much burned out by now for most yeah. leagues. And, and, B, it's unlike other prospects that have come up. And this, You never know. Maybe he plays great and sticks. The A's have so many moving pieces that you could easily see him disappearing when someone else gets healthy or some other situations like we've seen so many times with Barreto in the past. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And uh, it'll be, uh, be fun to watch and see what he does. I, but I agree, outside of 15-team winners, NL or AL only, probably nothing to uh, really get too excited about just yet. Sticking with the A's, Blake Trinan ret- should be returning from the IL either Wednesday or Thursday this week. Likely one more rehab start on Monday night, a run rehab appearance. Numbers have not been Trinan-esque this year. Uh, people are speculating an injury had happened. But when he got hurt, the injury sounded pretty severe. He's coming back a lot sooner than people thought. Just what's your thoughts on Blake Trinan? If you were one of the guys that went out and got Liam Hendricks, what are you doing now? Uh, I mean, you, you got to expect that Trinan is going to get the going to get the ninth inning role back. I mean, I mean, that's that's what he does. It's he was so dominant in the role last year, and who knows? It, it, shoulders are funny. Uh, you know, I, I always say pain in the shoulder is kind of like a virus because there's so many moving parts in there. Uh, that you never know. Something could start in the front and all of a sudden things tighten up in the back or you get weird types of impingement in your deltoids. It's, you know, so many things can just snowball very, very quickly. And and for that reason, I get very, very nervous when I see shoulder injuries. Uh, you know, if it wasn't anything super serious, they were able to rehab them relatively quickly. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd certainly hope that, you know, these professional training staffs know what they're doing and they were able to set him up for success, make sure he's not make sure they actually got ground zero of the problem. Uh, I mean, you, you got to ride Trinan. He's, he's one of the best closers in the game when he's right. Uh, and I would suspect that they're going to be, that they're going to be putting him back into that role. Yeah. You, you think they would as, as a guy that had to go out and get Hendricks at one point, I'm desperate for saves and TGFBI. I'm not dropping him right away. I'm keeping him there. Cause at worst, he's going to help your ratios out quite a bit. He's not going to get you saves most likely. Cause like I agree, Trinan's the guy unless something else happens, but if you have room to hold on to Hendricks, I'd, I'd hold on to him for now. But if there's something else that pops up along the way, I can see dropping him. All right. The Chicago White Sox have a doubleheader on Wednesday, and they're calling up their one of their top pitching prospects, Dylan Cease. People have been pretty pumped on him. Once Zach Callen got the call from Miami, Cease's name was on everyone's tip of their tongues. Uh, been an interesting year for him in the minors, but the stuff is electric. What's your thoughts on Dylan Cease and um, – we won't be able to add him until this Sunday, but what are your thoughts on adding him as well? Yeah, so hard to kind of you know analyze these guys without without really seeing you know a lot of the Statcast numbers, getting a chance to watch them pitch too often. Uh, I'm not I, I'm not a prospect focused guy, so I don't tend to go to the tape too much on them. Uh, but I do know that he's exciting and electric enough that uh, that Nick Pollock has had him in the top 100 at the bottom of the list as one of his stashes all year. So. Um, that's certainly something that I put some stock in. I, I, Nick has always got his pulse on this very, or he's got his finger on this pulse pretty nicely. Um, so I'm certainly excited to see him, um, again, in situations where you're a little bit desperate for pitching. Um, I think in deep leagues, he definitely needs to get, he definitely needs to be owned. Um, and if you're looking to either stash an asset where you're looking to make a trade down the stretch to make something happen, or if you're just desperate for pitching in general, I think you got to go out and you, and, and you've got to just kind of, you know, play your card here and, and see if it hits. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And the good thing is, is because I've heard both sides of the story. Most of it, people love him. But I've heard the speculative side as well. It's a doubleheader. They're calling him up to make a start and, and go back down. A, I don't think they're going to call up their best guy to spot start a doubleheader. And B, what else? They, once they call him up, what do they have to lose? So the good thing is, is you should have an idea before Sunday's fat, if he's sticking or not. But uh, I think there's a lot to like here. We saw Brendan McKay recently go. Um, you see him Gallon and company. This Outside of Jesus Lazardo here in a bit, this might be the last big pitcher we see this year. So go get him. Enjoy it while you can. Let's talk another pitcher. And this is kind of bad. I actually, in a 12-team league, dropped him over the weekend when this news came out because I couldn't hold on anymore. Luis Severino. The Every time we, we get an update, it's usually not good with Luis Severino. And now the latest reports, he's out until at least late August, which means probably into September, which means you're already in the fantasy playoffs or you're in Roto or might not have any use to you at all. What's your thoughts on this Luis Severino? Because I said I cut him in a 12-team. I'm even thinking 15 close, if not doable. What's your thoughts on Severino right now? Because it's a shame that we've lost him for pretty much the whole season. Yeah, it, it really is sad. Um, again, when he's right, probably it turns that that elite six into an elite seven in terms of the starting pitching landscape. Um, yeah, I, I mean, when he originally complained about the uh, about the issue in the in the off season, I immediately went into a void, and, and and again, that was sort of the health professional in me understanding what was going on. He said that he was experiencing pain behind his shoulder. Now, a lot of times these guys say, oh, I've got some discomfort, and then you hear, oh, he's got rotator cuff stiffness here and there. When you hear that there's pain, there tends to be a pretty severe issue, and I don't know if it's necessarily a tear or if there's a level of impingement in his shoulder that's manifesting itself, but uh, a lot of my communication to um, to the community that we have over in the over at the pitcher list um, was that I didn't think he was going to throw 40 innings this year. And that was back in March. I, I just, I thought that, you know, even if he did come back, it was going to be something that could, you know, come back again. And if they wanted to be super deliberate with him, he might even get into rehab starts where he was going to have issues. So if I'm being honest, this doesn't surprise me all that often. And I mean, at this point, I think you made the right call. If they're saying not until late August, that's just because they're pushing the timetable back. That just means that the rehab isn't quite going as planned. And now they need to continually go through these iterations and, who knows? They might be getting they might be getting through parts of the rehab on schedule, and then they get to step three or step four, and they hit something else, and they got to start over at step one. So that's sort of how these things go. And for that reason, I, I've been out on Severino for most of the year, and I think you made the right call by dropping him in a twelve teamer. Wow, so that's really good. That's interesting news to hear. They're like when you hear the word pain, how do you differentiate it? Just little things like that. So that's pretty awesome stuff. And um, yeah, I I got worried when. What he hurt is he hurt his shoulder the first time. And then when he was rehabbing that, he hurt his elbow or something. And I'm like, okay, so he's compensating for one. So that's still not healed. The rush, like this is just, it was domino affecting into just problems. Like just shut him down and come back next season. Or get him right. Or get him right. Hopefully by October, you can pitch him out of the bullpen or something. But I, like the kid's so young. What are you guys doing here? Like really, what are you doing? This is silly. But uh, cause something must be seriously wrong like you were saying. And uh, yeah, I think he's pretty much droppable. And would you would you agree almost pretty much all formats? I think it's all formats. I, I think yeah. you know you got You got to remember that he was even he wasn't even quite right at the end of 2018. I, th- I think you know true. If you if you owned him, you, you you remember, and if you paid any attention, you remember. But you know who knows if it started then and and they just they just weren't aware or he didn't know that it was 
an element of discomfort until the offseason and the spring hit. But, you know, he, he hasn't been right for probably about a year at this point, if you really go back sure. to when he started to struggle. So uh, who knows what's going on here? I'm with you. I, if I'm the Yankees, I'm, I'm really, really just trying to get this guy right. That's a good point because he did second half of last season was not strong. And, you know, it's a young kid. Maybe they, they were thinking it was just wear and tear on a first full season because he went big innings compared to normal last year. Yes, he did. And uh, really interesting stuff to, talk, to think about there that isn't discussed nearly enough. At least I haven't heard it. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts. So that's very, very interesting tidbits there. Let's go to Texas Rangers to starting American League outfielder Hunter Pence. Yes, starting American League outfielder Hunter Pence. As a Giants fan, that hurts quite a bit. But um, he will embark on a two-game minor league assignment starting today on Monday. So he should be back middle to end of the week, get a few games in before the All-Star break. He's had a really good season. Um, Are you buying into Hunter Pence the rest of the way, or what's your thoughts on Pence going forward? Yeah, uh, again, one of these guys where – you know, I think the big story was that Carlos Santana was going to get the hometown start in the All-Star game. I was so much more kind of, you know, gotten the sort of like emotionally invested in the Hunter Pence side of the of the equation because, right, I, mean, I mean, the guy was pretty much left for dead after last season. I, what, yeah. what was his WRC plus, like 59 or something like was, that? I mean, it, it was, was bad. It was, it was really it was, bad. It was really low. And I, I think, you know, what he did was he went and he played winter ball down yeah. in the Caribbean. Uh fought for a minor league contract, sort of willed his way onto the team in the spring, forced his way into the starting lineup. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and again, who knows exactly what it was. I know there, there's, there's rumors or reports of him, you know, really trying to attack his swing and, 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 and change his swing up a little bit um, to kind of, you know, he, he's always been sort of a, sort of an ax chopper. And who knows if, if that was something that just wasn't going to work anymore with the way that pitchers were attacking hitters. But he did something to sort of retool his swing. And, if, and the stack cast numbers don't lie. I mean, he's absolutely smoking the baseball. Um, so it just, you know, hard work paying off. I mean, that's just, that's just the epitome of it, just seeing what the guy's able to do being left for dead, you know, less than a year ago. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I am buying into him. I, I, I think, you know, being in Arlington always helps in terms of just adding a little bit to your pop. Uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good lineup, especially now that they got Gallo back swinging, swinging a healthy bat. and. Uh, just, I mean, I mean, until he slows down, I mean, you know, again, at, the, at pitcherless, we have this, this idea of the, uh, the Vargas rule, you know, when a pitcher's hot, you ride him. And even if you don't really know what's going on, I think even if Pence, even if this is a little bit of a flash in the pan until he shows any, any signs of slowing down, you, you just keep him in your lineup. Yeah. Especially with the craziness of baseball this year. And you mentioned Arlington as a factor and what he did, he changed. He went to a batting instructor. He went to the Caribbean. He did a lot of things. He changed a lot of aspects to his game. And it's showing. He's playing great. He's got that all-out hustle he's always had. It's fun to watch. It's, I just get kind of shamed and butthurt because the, the Giants couldn't hang him around to do that there. But uh, <laughs> it's part of the rebuilding team. I, mean, I get it. That's what we're doing. But it's good for Pence. He's going to probably get traded. I, I've always, the last couple of months, I've been saying maybe he goes back to Philly, a little reuniting because it feels so good moment before he uh, – you know, retires, but it helps them get into the playoffs. But we'll see how that all plays out there. Yep. Uh, last beat, beast piece of MLB news, Marcelo Zuna on the IL with uh, multiple injured fingers from a base running incident, including possibly fractured finger in the middle finger, which is not good. couple of takes from this. Uh, Tyler O'Neill got the call up, which gets a lot of people happy. Jose Martinez might get more playing time. How are you uh, dealing with the Marcelo Zuna injury? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little sad, right? I mean, the guy, you know, 
finally kind of found that sweet balance of, you know, maybe I'll swing and miss a little bit more, but I'm going to, but I'm going to greatly improve my power. I'm really going to start attacking some pitches. And uh, I mean, the first thing you feel for is the Cardinals offense. <laughs> I mean, you, you want to talk about the one, one really bright spot in that lineup it's, is, is now gone. And I know there's rumors of, of fractures in the finger and, and they don't know exactly what's going on. And uh, that's not going to be a fun thing to recover from, especially when, uh, especially when you're a power hitter and needs to grip the bat. So um, I am pretty excited about Tyler O'Neill. Uh, it, it's, you know, ever since, ever since Luke Voigt, you know, you, you start to get excited about these, these, these big boppers in, in that organization. Uh, so uh, we know that Tyler O'Neill came up last year, demonstrated a lot of raw power. Um, so I'm going to be, you know, super excited to kind of see what he's able to do. Uh, but outside of that, you know, it's more just as an Ozuna owner, you you hope for the best, you you stash him, and and you hope that down the stretch you can make the playoffs, and he comes back with a little bit of that power still saved up. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a, it's a shame because he go, he's gone through spurts this year where you really like what you've seen, kind of struggled at times, but you know what he can bring to the table, and you're gonna want that back out there down the stretch run. So hopefully it's not too long of a time. I'd probably rather Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill that both have their their benefits if you can go either way with them. It just depends on. I, I don't know who's going to get the share, the lion's share of the playing time just yet, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes because they have a lot of pieces there. They can move around. Yeah, they do. All right, before we do the fab recap, let's have a little fun uh, with the all-star teams and the reserves and everything getting announced over the weekend and a lot of good names, like you mentioned, the Carlos Santana coming home. I thought that was outstanding. I think it's his first ever all-star, and he started at home. Like, that's great. You mentioned Pence. You know, John Means. Like, I like seeing a lot of these kind of like random guys that make it. It's like – you could, you'll hear arguments why did they make it so on, but some of these are, are really fun. So I'm a big fan of those. But let's have some fun with some fantasy baseball all-stars. And to be real simple, if we said, you know, Christian Yellick, Mike Trout, yeah, that, that's simple. That's boring, though. That's simple. <laughs> so I, I, I told uh, Dan before we got started, I said, try try to go like outside of the top 180 piece, and we'll have a little fun with it there. And you can still make a heck of a list <laughs> this way. So, oh, yeah. Um, Let's have a little fun, give a little bit of analysis on it. Nothing crazy, but who would be your quote-unquote value all-star catcher in fantasy baseball this year? Yeah, so I, I thought about going with Wilson Contreras because if you if you decided to go with him, he greatly paid off for you, especially early in the season. But I went a little bit deeper. I went with James McCann. Uh, McCann, especially coming in these last few weeks for uh, for Wellington, for uh Beef Castillo and trying to uh, and really trying to assert himself as the as the true starter and the better hitter in that in that battery, uh, just having a tremendous season in terms of the contact that he's making. Uh, one of the big things that was a problem for him last year was just getting under the baseball a lot, popping balls up consistently. Seems to have retooled his swing to to really get a little bit more on top of the ball, a little bit more on plane, and the numbers don't lie, especially on on baseball savant. You just see everything from his burners to his solid contact and especially his barrels, which have doubled. Uh, he, he's just seeing a whole lot of success, clearly made some sort of adjustment in the offseason. And uh, if you were able to grab him, probably off of waivers, he, he may have gone undrafted in one catcher leagues. I think that's a great guy. Yeah, I think that's a great call because he, like in the days of DFS and deep, deep leagues, he was always a guy, he's a lefty masher. You target him for his lefties, he does very well. Like you said, he's got the everyday job now, and he's been very, very good with it. So I agree there's a lot to like there. My guy was Omar Narvaez. I was a big fan of his coming into the uh, the season when the, the Mariners acquired him. I wrote up about him because he was very good in limited action with the White Sox last year. 
and he's going to finally get the everyday role. And it's been kind of hot and cold with him. He started out gangbusters, slowed down a bit, but he's still, uh, he's starting to heat up again. He's hit 288 on the year, you know, a 458 slug. The fact he's got 11 homers when all of last year he had nine. Uh, he, he has more, he, and he has fewer at bats than last year. There's a lot of things pointing in the right direction there. His barrels are up. His exit velocity is still very good, and his hard hit rate's up to 30 percent on the season. So there's a lot to like here with uh, Narvaez. If you look at X stats. Slightly concerning. There's there's some room for some negative regression possibly, but all in all, I think no more Navarro. At this point in time, you should be very happy with what you got. Yeah, fun fact about him. I uh, he's been the guy I've been riding ever since in my my home league, my big main league. Uh, I traded Contreras uh, in a package to acquire Joey Gallo and Forrest Whitley. And uh, Narvaez was the guy I went out and plucked off waivers, and it's been quite a nice fill-in for Contreras. So I've been I've been riding him. That's a great call by you. Yeah, I, I, thank you. And I think being able to flip Contreras for th- that package is, uh, I'm assuming it's a dynasty league if you pick Whitley up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Slight, slightly limited keeper, but uh, but I mean, it was yeah. it was quite a quite a blockbuster, <laughs> that one. Nice. I like it. I like it. Now we get into some positions that you could, there's options for days. There's one guy that's gone deep twice tonight already we could probably talk about. Um, first base, who do you have here? Yeah, a lot of good options here. I think Carl Santana we were talking about. Josh Bell is another. I think Pete Alonzo is a, is another great option. I decided to go, again, a little bit more, a little bit, little bit deeper. I went with CJ Cron. I think I like it. I, I ever ever since Cron was in was in Anaheim, uh, you, you kind of wondered, like, what is this guy missing? He's demonstrated some power. He's had gone on these little streaks. Um, and then he goes to the Rays, who just seem to take these really – you know, good talents and turn them into good overall hitters. Uh, he's clearly carried that over to a great lineup over in Minnesota. Uh, everything from the barrel rate to uh, his ability to consistently make contact. So he's not whiffing quite as much. Um, and that's sort of a rare, you know, that's sort of a rare thing that you see uh, where guys are able to sort of cut back their whiff rates and their strikeout rates while simultaneously increasing their power. So um, overall, if you went with CJ Cron, uh, I mean, he, he's delivering for you some really, really positive output. And the one thing that I really, really love about him is that he's one of six players right now that have an X slug over 500 for both breaking pitches and fastballs, which is pretty spectacular. Um, the other, the other five, I believe are Trout, Yelich. It's, it, it, it's like Trout, Yelich, and then like, JD Martinez and like two other studs. I forget exactly who they are. Um, but Kron is is doing some things that only real superstars and elite hitters do. That's an outstanding call there. I like I like CJ Kron quite a bit. Uh you mentioned the one I was gonna talk about, Josh Bell. I'm uh, just over the moon with what he's done. Already tonight he's in his twenty third and twenty fourth home run of the season. He's three for three so far on the night. He came into the night hitting three oh one so with an OPS over a thousand. And what I what I love about him is you saw like increases in, in his overall hitting profile coming into the year and you were waiting for it to balloon and he's he went from seven percent barrel last year to 14.3 percent this year uh, even increases exit velocity his hard hit rates up to almost 51 percent which is just wild when you really think about being able to put that together over and over again and he's just getting it done uh, in, in all aspects of the game right now and i don't see t- a ton slowing him down anytime soon so uh, i'm a big josh bell fan i agree carlos santana and pete alonzo have been outstanding it really goes to show you looking at this uh, kind of doing this value thing here. First base is definitely a position, which is weird coming into draft season. A lot of people talked about it might not be as deep as we once liked it to be. It's really top heavy, but there's value. The value is coming through big right now. It's coming through really, really big. 
and uh, there's a lot to like at the position. I agree. Uh, second base, there's a lot of ways to go here. Like, I think all of my guys have multi-positional eligibility that I wrote down. <laughs> but um, what do you have at second base? Yeah, again, it's sort of honorable mentions here. Um, I think DJ LeMahieu is the one on most people's mind. Yon Mankata, you know, having sort of – well, I don't really think it's Yon Mankata's breakout quite yet. I think this might be sort of the – sort of a Cattell Marte, like pre-breakout kind of thing. Uh, I think I think the sky's the limit for Yon Mankata. Howie Kendrick was another guy I considered, but man, if they could just get him some more playing time. Uh, the guy I went with was Max Muncy. Uh, I think if, if you were able to wait uh, till he kind of went in that like early hundreds area, you know, if you were buying into Muncy, you were, out, you were all in. If you were out on him, you were all out. And that was sort of the way of the world, right? And, you know, he started off the year... Uh, a little bit odd in terms of trying to retool his approach. I think he was trying to go straight away and, and oppo a little bit more, uh, kind of get his swing a little bit more dialed in. Uh, but now he's back to kind of pulling his fly balls with a lot of power. Uh, we saw the one that he put in the ocean off Bumgarner. I mean, he's doing that, doing that everywhere right now. And uh, the, the one thing I really like about Muncie, and this is more of sort of an intangible thing, if you watch him, especially when he hits against, uh, especially when he hits fastballs, He's got one of those swings that's very like J.D. Martinez-esque where it's like right on plane and it's almost as if he can be a little bit wrong and still be very right when he makes contact. It's all a matter of just when the ball is going to meet the bat. And I, I encourage anybody, when if you get a chance to watch him swing, look at where the ball is located and watch the path of his bat. It doesn't matter if it's high, low, inside, outside. He's just finding that linear plane and he's just going right at the baseball. So I really love watching him go. And again, as a second base eligible guy, he's, he's invaluable. No, he's, he's definitely a good one. Uh, I am Mankata, DJ, the may could tell Marte, all really good ones, all multi-position eligible. Um, Jeff McNeil was my guy. Many didn't one. know if he, many didn't know if he was going to play, didn't know much about him. And you know, you're not drafting him for power, but heck he's got six home runs already on the year. He had nine all of last year. If he gets you 12 plus home runs, you'd be ecstatic. He's going to steal, you know, five, six, seven bags. But the fact that he hits 348 and he hits at the top of that order and he scores runs like crazy, um, he, he was undrafted in a lot of leagues. Kind of like your, your McCann talk. Like McNeil was not taking places, and he's been amazing. His, um, he really He's really, really disciplined at the plate. Only a, um, a 64% chase or a 34% chase rate right now. Uh, contact is 64% there. But he's just he's very, very diligent at the plate. He um, takes advantage of what they're giving him, and so far, so good with him. He's one of the best leadoff hitters you could probably think of in, in the game right now, one of the top ones, and he made his first all-star team this year. So uh, it was really good to see. And, um, yeah, he, he shocked a lot of people, and I think he, he's now tied or second on all of Mets complete, all of Mets history for four-hit games in his career. Like, he's just – he's crushing it in all levels, and I think, uh, you know, he's not going to hit maybe 350 for the whole year. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the season's end, he's hitting 325, 330. The dude is that good yeah. at the plate. So I think Jeff McNeil's a good one. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, he's one of those guys who hits a lot of what baseball savant refers to as flares and burners. And yeah. those, uh, he, he's, in, he's in the top 10 of what I would consider to be qualified hitters, maybe like 200 hitters on the list. And he's a, uh, you know, those flares and burners. I think when you think about a flare, a lot of people think about those little like jam shots that kind of fall into no man's land in the outfield. Uh, but if you look at the if you look at the array of what flares and burners cover, for the most part, it's really really hard hit ball. So if you're hitting a lot of flares and burners, you're basically not quite hitting the ball high enough to get that solid barrel contact, but you're still smoking the baseball, and they're very very high value balls. 
So he's clearly got a level of skill that allows him to do that consistently. And again, these contact guys that demonstrate that they can hit the ball hard, you want to own those guys in this day and age. Yeah, because eventually, like you're basically hinting at there, the launch angle will come into play. <laughs> it's going to be a yeah. beautiful thing. Exactly. So, uh, let's head over to shortstop. This was a position coming into the season. Everyone raved about how deep it was. And so far, so good in that respect. Uh, you could have a ton of options here, Dan. Where are you going? Yeah, the I think the obvious choice that I didn't go with was uh, Fernando Tatis. Um, I think I think that uh, Jorge Polanco was another really good option, and and to go on the Mets and to kind of go deeper into the Mets side of the th- of the equation, uh, Ahmed Rosario uh, seems to be kind of breaking out a little bit. But I went with Dansby Swanson. Uh, Dansby Swanson is doing some incredible things right now. I mean, he's got 15 home runs in a lineup that is just absolutely clicking. Uh, in terms of sort of retooling his approach and his swing, hitting hitting the ball so much harder. He's over 90%. He's up into the uh he's up into the the top 75 percentile in all of baseball in that regard. Um he's barreling the ball at a 12% clip, which is more than double what he's ever done in his career. Uh and the other thing that he's doing is he's cut back a lot on his strikeouts because he sort of retooled his his uh his two-strike approach to, to not whiff quite as much and protect a little bit better. So he's doing a lot of really good things. He's hitting well against uh, – he's slugging really well against both fastballs and breaking balls. Uh, and the thing that makes me even more excited is that if you look at his expected numbers, it appears as though he's getting relatively unlucky. So with a guy who doesn't rely for the most part on things like, you know, dead he's not a dead pull hitter. He's not a guy who likes to bail out for fly balls. Getting a lot more line drives, not popping the ball up too much, has a nice all-fields approach, and demonstrating an ability to hit the ball a lot harder. Uh, Swanson's a guy where if you uh, if you t- if you finally if you if you played the waiting game and finally got him uh, this year, you're you're extremely happy. Yeah, I, I was ridiculed when I did my value shortstops and I put him on the article. I was like, people were uh, thinking I was crazy, and uh, he was basically free in drafts. So very good call there. A guy that I was all in on in draft season for the the value of his draft pick. You mentioned his name already, Jorge Polanco. And um, he's done nothing short of making me very happy about that suggestion. Hitting 320 on the season, only 11 home runs. I'd hope the power and speed would be a little higher. The speed is what concerns me the most. I'm, I'm really wondering why he's not running, unless it's just his team. All they do is hit home runs now, so maybe they don't run. Might be a new philosophy there with Baldelli and company, and uh, didn't factor that one in. But the guy is just, is hitting from the right side and the left side. Switch hitting beautifully. His barrel, barrel rates up to seven percent on the season. That's a definite career high. And, and uh, hard hit rate up to 35%. So I'm a big Jorge Polanco fan when uh, looking at value there. But you mentioned a lot of guys like uh, Catel Marte again and Eduardo Escobar, two D-backs, were also honorable mentions for me. Yep. Th- third base, what you're looking at there? Uh, so could I even put this guy at second base? Um, I went with Mike Moustakis, uh, and, I, and I took him ahead of Matt Chapman and Rafi Devers. I really wanted to talk about Devers, but – yeah, I feel like I, 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 I feel like you can't pass up on Mustakas right now, and I think one of the big big values for him is that he's played forty four games at second base. He's your second baseman if you if you own him most likely. Um, Twenty three home runs to this point in the season, hitting right there with Christian Yelich. Um, who knows when you know the top of that lineup with Lorenzo Cain, like if Lorenzo Cain can start clicking again. You know they haven't even you know they've gotten a bit of a, a lull this this season from the likes of you know, Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar. So the fact that Moustakis with pretty much just Yelich there with him at the top of that lineup has been able to do what he's done. Um, Super impressive, super valuable. Uh, 
cutting back on, you know, some of the stuff that he used to do in terms of his whiffing and his striking out, uh, finding a way to make great contact in what's, you know, obviously a great hitter park. Um, so I couldn't pass up on him as, as, a, as a value third baseman. Yeah, I love that call quite a bit. Uh, I like all the ones you mentioned there. Uh, Devers has been a thing of beauty to talk about. And I, I took Matt Chapman. Uh, this is a guy that he's been a favorite of mine for two or three years now. I've been a big fan of his. I One of my bold predictions this year is he goes over 30 home runs and uh, competes for MVP. And he's got 21 already on the season. So that's uh, making me feel very happy. Hitting 270. When you look at his stat cast page, 97th percentile in exit velo, 93rd in hard hit, 88th in ex-woba, 88th in ex-slug. And he's even, you know, sprint speed, he's even 76 with no one to count. And he's a gold glove at infielder, like one of the best third basemans on the planet right now. He's increased his barrel rate, his hard hit rates through the roof. And uh, one of the stats I like to look at, because, you know, Woba and ex-woba are fun, and they're very, very good tools. Uh, X will bacon a balls on contact is 425. Like when he puts the ball in play, really good things are, are going to happen with Matt Chapman. And this guy just keeps getting better and better and better. And um, yeah, I, I think the sky's the limit for this guy. And I think uh, the, the, the ideas of getting him after pick 100 are going to be long gone next season. So yeah, he, he is, that one. yeah, he's a guy who, who I talked about very, very early on with, um, with John Metzelar on, on, on the barrel. And at the time that we talked about him, I think it was right around the end of the end of April. And, you know, at that point he was barreling the ball at like 18% and his whiff rate was down at like, at like 14%, like something microscopic. And, you know, the odds were there was always going to be an element of regression there, but it was sort of like how much regression is going to occur. Because when someone does something like that, it's something you have to take note of, you know, kind of like the Yelich breakout, the Voigt breakout, things like that, or the Herman Marquez last season. Um, and Chapman has seen that regression, but he's sort of stabilized right now at that 12% barrel rate and that uh, that 21% whiff rate, which are two very – it's a very above-average whiff-to-barrel ratio if you look across the league. So showing that he's very much an above-average power hitter. And the one comment that I always like to make about him, it's hard to put a number to this, but I think that there's an intangible element to the clean conscience he goes to the plate with with how well he plays defense. I, I just I think that has to be something that goes on in the head of these players, and uh, yeah, your 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 thought you're spot on. I mean, if you expect to get this guy, even even really, if I don't know if he makes it out of the top sixty if he continues doing what he's doing because he's just he's always going to be on the field. He's going to hit in a lineup that's going to continue to be pretty good. Um, I think he's just going to be an, an extremely viable talent next year in draft season. And two things on that, real quick. Um... You, you mentioned the clear conscience. I, I, I've said that for so long that if a guy plays great defense, his job is not an issue. Then that, for kids especially that are coming up, that's huge. Because like, we just talked about Frank Lombretto, who's always yeah. got someone, that, he's always looking over his shoulder. And that might affect how he's playing. Because when he's in the minors, he's a really good hitter. And so there's a lot to be said about that. Like the, Chapman could go like 0 for 60. I'm not saying he would, but he'd probably still have a job because he's that good defensively. <laughs> he has nothing to worry about. Um it's crazy to think of. And then just for fun, like with this pure speculation, July 1st, you mentioned, you know, top 60, a guy that I'm kind of just off the top of my head want to compare him to. And I think name value keeps him ahead of Chapman. But if you really break down the numbers, I would take Chapman. I'm curious your thoughts next season. If things keep going the way they're going right now, would you rather have Chris Bryant or Matt Chapman? Ooh, um, man, that's tough. Uh, I tend, I think I'm probably going to go with Chapman as well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable to think about, but again, when you think about, when you think about Chris Bryant, 
shoulder issues tend to be something that always seem to come back. I know that I know that he's hitting the ball well this season, but you never know when those issues are going to remanifest themselves as he takes some time off. Um, and in this day and age, he's hitting the ball very well, and a lot of people are comparing his season this year to his MVP season in 2016. But you know, you're not really taking into account the fact that it's a different year. It's a different ball. It's a different yeah. landscape. If if Chris Bryant was what he was in 2016, he would be a better hitter than what he is right now. And I think Matt Chapman has demonstrated that he's only gotten better every single season, whereas Chris Bryant has sort of stabilized as a very, very good hitter. I would take Chapman as well. Yeah, that's why I think it's going to be real interesting if this keeps up come, come draft season because I name value is going to keep a lot of people on the Bryant train or I'll gladly take Chapman a round or two later. It's fine yeah. with me. Me too. All right, let's talk outfield. Break down one of your sleepers and just give me a couple more names um, so we don't do all three of them. Yeah, I, I think the um, I think the, the the big sleepers that I wanted to talk about were obviously Garcia and Scott Kingery. Uh, good ones. Yeah, uh, the the only thing that I'll mention the the one bona fide definite value in terms of like being right around that top one hundred is Joey Gallo. I, I think there's no arguing that. Um, getting the 280 average out of him. The one comment I wanted to make real, about real quick, him, let, me, let me interrupt you. If Gallo, let's just, I'm just have more fun with this. If he hits, if he finishes hitting 275 or better. See a first rounder next year. I don't think so. I think that okay. I think that I think that people are going to. It's not that I don't think he might be able to reach that value. It's I think the regression. The regression talk yes. is going to is going to start um, immediately. It'll um, be severe. Yes. Uh, the the one thing I'll say about him. The big change in his approach is that he's just not swinging as much. And it's both in and out of the zone. And the big thing that he's decided he's not going to do, he's not going to chase balls upstairs. Uh, the one statistic that I wanted to point out about him that I found yesterday, um, if you look on like the attack zones on Baseball Savant, if you go right above the zone, right on the edge or above, he's cut his swing, he's, he's cut his swing rate from 40% to 20%. I mean, wow. that right there That's is huge. just remarkable. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's huge. It, it's basically him saying, you know what? I, I see a ball in one spot. I'm swinging at it. If I see it up here, there's not a chance in heck that I'm going to be going after it. So I thought that was super interesting. And obviously, it's been a ball to watch him play. But the two sleepers that I wanted to talk about, Garcia and Kingery, obviously, I was a guy that I that I kind of hitched my wagon to early in the offseason. Uh, I thought going to the Rays was a great situation for him. Again, a guy with a lot of talent, the ability to make great contact with the ball, going to an organization that seems to maximize that. You see it with Pham, Crone, Austin Meadows this season. Um, and knowing that he was going to get a chance to, to DH, where he could focus on hitting, uh, had me very, very, very excited. And uh, granted, probably since about June 3rd, so most of June, he's had quite a rough go of it. I think he's batting about 222. But up to that point, he was he was a bona fide stud, um, really kind of top 85 to 90 percentiles across the board. Um, he's also got eight steals on the season, something that people really weren't going to. If you signed up for obviously, if you happen to draft him, you weren't expecting a 15 to 20 steal pace, which has just been a bonus. Um, I, that That's something that I've been super happy with. And as for Kingery, a uh, lot of really exciting things with Scott Kingery. Um he seems to be a little bit more dialed in. Uh, one thing, one sort of, you know, deep thing that I've done when I've when I've dove on him is uh, he's not pulling as many fastballs as he did last year. He's still he's pulling a lot more balls in general, and for the most part, it's when he hits fly balls he's deciding to pull them. Um, he's a guy who's not fouling quite as many pitches off. He hits a lot of balls down the line. So when you look at his expected batting average versus batting average, that probably plays a little bit of a role in that gap because. 
expected batting average doesn't actually take into account the direction. So some of the balls that are being hit at low launch angles with certain speeds, they're probably finding ground because he's a guy who actually does tend to get around these, these breaking pitches and pull them down the line pretty effectively. So um, an increase in barrel rate with a similar whiff rate. I'm really excited. I think he's on the verge of having another mini breakout kind of on the same plane as Cattell Marte as well. So I think next season, next season is going to be the big season to own Scott Kingery in that Phillies lineup. I like that Colin Kingery. We're finally seeing why they paid him so early when people yeah. were surprised by it. Like he just didn't have it together last year. Looks really good now. Yeah. Uh, a couple, couple for me, Austin Meadows. I think that one, he kind of jumped on the scene earlier than I expected at least. And he's been great. A little slow since his injury, but uh, he's been really, really good. Trey Mancini was another one I loved coming into the season. But the guy I'm going to talk about, and he is just crushed with 21 homers on the year, 270 average. And which is crazy, his um, his X stats actually show some positive regression coming his way. Yeah. Is Max is Max Kepler? Um, he has been outstanding. Forty four percent hard hit rate, almost a ten percent barrel. Like I said, his his X woba, his X slug, all those numbers point to positive things. His X of Velo's eightieth percentile, hard hit seventy seventh. Um, his defense is great. His, his defense is really really good. He's showing speed um, out in the field. Only one stolen base again. I think it's that new twins philosophy because he was like a five plus steel guy, not there, but the power is legit with Max Kepler. Again, for people that don't know his story, you know, from Germany, he didn't learn how to really play baseball until, you know, six, seven years ago. So this is all new to him. He keeps getting better year after year. Like look at his pages on fan graphs on baseball. Savant. everything just improves every season. And I think this guy has, he's finding that next level. And he might even have another one after this because he's still figuring it out. Like if he can put a, 280 to 300 bad numbers together with 30 plus pop, which I think he can do. This guy's going to be scary. And uh, I'm a big fan of Max Kepler. Yeah. I, I think with him that uh, there's going to have to be a level of trade-off somewhere, but I, I don't think, I don't think that 325 or 275, 30 are, are, are off the table. I think that both of sure. those are options. Um, unless you're Mike Trout, you got to make trade-offs somewhere. Um, and <laughs> so I think true. that, yeah, and, and and I think that that Kepler's the kind of guy who can certainly do that again, sort of like Matt Chapman, right? Just every year finding something that he that he improves about his game. So that that's a great call too. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk starting pitchers. Give me a couple guys you like there. Yeah, I, I don't really have too many. Uh, you know, you gave me a couple options here, so I didn't need to go uh, into too many sleepers. Um, I think Jake Odorizzi is a fun one to talk about. Uh, he is he's a guy I've always liked just because he's got such a dominant fastball, uh, really commands the top of the strike zone, uh, elevates his four-seamer, and doesn't just command it well, but gets swings and misses with it. Uh, I encourage anyone who is, you know, somewhat, somewhat, you know, literate in terms of your ability to use, uh, you know, search tools and queries, go to the Baseball Savant search tool and save a search that keeps track of pitchers that get swings and misses with their four-seam fastball. Those are the best pitchers in baseball because they can live in and out of the zone and still avoid contact. And Jake Odorizzi has been doing this for years. And all he had to do was try to figure out that hybrid approach between both his cutter and his slider. And this year it looks like he finally did it. He he's added a lot of movement to his cutter from last season. And it looks like he's sort of gone away from the slider. So I'm thinking this is more of a hybrid pitch and commanding that, with a different sort of in a different speed realm, um, along with that well-commended four seamer on the edges in the top of the zone, uh, just really taking his game to another level. So he's a uh, he's a super exciting guy. Um, 
I don't know if you have any comments about him or if you wanted me to no, sort he, of jump he's, into my he's been, out, he's been outstanding. He's a guy that uh, going over to Minnesota, you can tell has done some big things for him, which is weird because Tampa Bay usually takes care of their guys too. But uh, he's found another level there in Minnesota. And uh, I'm with you. It's, it's been impressive. And, and he's taken the whole pitch mix to a whole new level. So I like yeah. it quite a bit. Yeah, the, the the next big guy that I had to talk about was Lucas Giolito. Um, he is Lucas Giolito is the uh, he's the poster boy for uh, for two strike percentage. Uh, he's the guy who saw the uptick. He was about bottom of the barrel for most of his career. saw a, saw quite an uptick from being well below average to about average at the end of 2018, where you saw him have a nice little string of starts, and then he took it to another level this season, where he's now in both the top 15 of two strike percentage and two strike whiff percentage, which is right where you want to be as a starting pitcher. And I just love the way that he utilizes that changeup. Uh, he doesn't just throw it as, as an out pitch. He kind of uses it almost like an off-speed two-seamer. Uh, I watched his start against the Indians a couple starts back. Uh, he had Jose Ramirez sort of turning his shoulder like he was about to get hit and then just dropping that thing in the top part of the zone. So throws it everywhere. Um, I'm a little bit surprised to see the spin rate on his fastball because when you watch him throw it, you think that it has a lot of backspin, but he's only in the 61st percentile according to StatCast. So um, who knows if that's something that's going to be able to last. But as of right now, I mean, that new delivery with a lot of extra zip on that four-seamer, he's got guys swinging right over it. Um, so he's a guy that um, I'm sure you want to make a comment about because he's just been awesome. He's been absolutely amazing. You hit on pretty much everything. And I know you guys had some good articles over there about Lucas Giolito. It's hard not to be a fan of the improvements. And I, I've said it many times on the show, it's, it doesn't happen for all of them, but you said it with Dancy Swanson earlier, Giolito. These guys are drafted high in drafts for a reason. And sometimes it takes longer for prospect pedigree to play through, but we're seeing it. And it's not not everybody can be Ronald Acuna, not everybody can be Juan Soto. It just doesn't work that way. So to see, you know, Giolito start to, to really get it together, and it, it's interesting because I think I think there's another level to what he's doing. Like you said, he, the improvements he's made, it's hard to have another level, but I think he can – you know, take take another step and be just a dominant, dominant guy, which we're seeing uh, for the most part. And uh, I'm a big fan of Lucas Giolito for sure. Yeah, if you, if you ask Nick Pollock, it's all about the breaking pitches. The changeup is very good. The four-seamer is excellent. He commands it well, but he needs to get that curveball and that slider a bit more consistent because if he can work both lower quadrants, he's going to be unhittable. That That's probably the next step for him. Um, yeah, I, I, know but, I've talked to, I know I've heard Nick Pollock. He, he, he talks, he's obviously the pitching guru. But um, uh, he talks about the off-speed pitches quite a bit. You know, you know, you hear it in baseball, two-pitch guys like Archer and company aren't going to really make it as starters. You need at least a third pitch. And, and Nick likes to almost say you need a fourth pitch. Are you okay with a th- – what are your thoughts? I'm not, I'm not a pitching guru. I learn from these guys. I try to figure it all out. I, I figured three pitches is enough. Uh, do you think G. Lito needs all four, or do you think three is enough? Yeah, it's funny. It, it, I, I talk to Nick all the time. I, I, I love picking his brain because he's, he's lived it, right? He, he pitched at the college level. And uh, if you ever get a chance to really have the conversation with him, which I have multiple times, he, he just loves the art of pitching. So, you know, different guys have different strengths. And, and Nick likes to look at those strengths and see who can exploit them versus who has that next gear that they can get to in terms of having a different strength. Um, I'm personally a believer in having three pitches 
a four-seam fastball, and then a breaking pitch and an off-speed pitch. Because if you can work the upper half of the zone with that fastball and then get your off-speed pitch and your breaking pitch to work both lower quadrants regardless of the hitter, I think that's where you want to be as a pitcher. Um, you can be good with just two pitches, I, and, and I think Nick would be the first one to, to come forth and say that. I, I, I was very much on the Pavetta bandwagon early in the season, and I thought that if he could add a changeup, it would make him a lot better. But uh, but Nick Nick insists um, the slider and the curveball are good enough if he can just figure out how to how to fix his command with the fastball. So um, yeah, th- and and I think I'm going to talk about another pitcher here that that Nick and I have gone back and forth with uh, okay. quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of his approach and his command, and that's Luis Castillo. Yes, um, that's Luis, one of Nick's boys, <laughs> Luis, Luis Castillo. I. I I've talked to Nick quite frequently because, in my opinion, and Castillo, he's another one that me and Nick, have, that me and Nick Jurley have talked about. He's kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of two strike percentage, and it he's right now. I believe his two strike percentage is about what James Shields's was from about 2016 to 2018. So that's not good. And what really kind of confuses me about him is that it, he had a he didn't really have a whole lot of success last season peppering the zone it seemed like the league kind of figured him out hit him a little bit harder than he was used to and now he has gone the total opposite direction and, and if you look at his zone rate his zone rate is in the high 30s it's the it's the it's the lowest in baseball he loves living outside of the zone and getting people to chase that change up now if you look at him by count pretty much every single count unless it's maybe like 2030 he is not going to throw a pitch into the strike zone and my take on this is Castillo is going to be adjusted to at some point. It's too fragile of an approach for hitters to not be like, okay, I'm just not going to swing. I'm going to force him to throw me a strike. And Nick Pollock comes back over the top and says, you can't just do that. You have to think about O swing because you're not giving enough credence to exactly how good of a changeup it is. So me and him have gone a little bit back and forth about that. The one thing that I will say about Castillo, though, he's one of four pitchers him, Max Scherzer, Blake Snell, and Garrett Cole, who are in the top 15 in both O-whiff and Z-whiff. So whiffs both in the zone and out of the zone. So I don't think Castillo necessarily has to be out of the zone as much as he is. I think he can adjust and get in the zone a little bit more and still be this effective. So again, if you decided to gamble on Castillo this season, there is an element to his approach this year that does freak me out just a little bit. And you can kind of see it by that high walk rate. I think it's in like the mid tens right now, but overall, the kid has so much talent, both in and out of the zone, and that and that changeup is is totally legit. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, obviously, my Giants' offense is not anything to be happy about, but when they were out here in San Francisco in the Bay Area, I was watching that game, and he was, was a, a wizard out there. Like his changeup was falling off the table. It, it was beautiful, but he was so picky and pitching around guys. He walked like five guys. I think he struck out 10 or 11 in like six innings. He just, if he could be more, I guess, commanding of the zone or I know like Nick talks about it with, uh, with like Bieber and company, like these guys need to not throw it on a tee with two strikes like Bieber likes to do, but they still need to be effective with their pitches type thing. And uh, it seems like Castillo just kind of plays that dance a little bit where he gets frustrating at times, but the stuff is so electric that uh, what could be and what might be someday keeps you com- it keeps you coming back for more. Yeah, Bieber, Bieber, another another guy that I that I almost wanted to talk about, but man, another guy who completely retooled his approach to go a little bit more out of the zone with those breaking pitches. And and to his credit, um, it, it, well, I should say to your point, 
Uh, Bieber is one of the absolute worst in terms of XWO bacon. If you look at him, if you look at him, the contact that he gives up is super valuable contact, just gets shelled in terms of his extra base hits, uh, home runs, doubles, he gets barreled a ton. Um, but that's because he doesn't want to walk guys. And it's because when he does come in the zone, it's because he's putting himself in hitter counts. Uh, so guys can be a little bit more patient and, and attack him. But again, a guy who you you can't take away from what Bieber's done. He's just so spectacular with his command of those breaking pitches. Um, yeah, like like you said, um, just a guy who who has to stop serving it on a tee because the moment that he figures out how to avoid that rough contact, he's he's going to be may, maybe not even a top fifteen. He might be a guy we're talking about for the top ten with the way that he's able to get swings and misses. Yeah, so all the talk was this offseason was this might be the future ace of the staff. That's why they can trade Kluber and some of these other guys and get some prospects back and start rebuilding because that's how good Bieber is. So He's been great. It'll be interesting there. I'll just uh, mention mine real quick. We won't go into them. Uh, Hungjin Ryu, hard not to like what he's been doing, where he was drafted. Uh, Matt Boyd, Boyd Boyds is big. And then one that surprised me, there's a bunch of them, like obviously to talk about, but one that has surprised me a ton I thought the deal was crazy when they signed it, and the location was crazy. Lance Lynn has been amazing, absolutely amazing, and yep. he was pretty much free draft season. So those are just three I like to mention. Hungjin Ryu, hey, he's starting for the NL All-Stars this year. So take, <laughs> yep. keep that with a grain of salt. Uh, who would be your, your value relief pitcher? I think, you know, Hader, Shane Green, Ken Giles, these are all guys who you could talk about. I went with – uh, sort of a combo package here. I went with Kirby Yates and Hector Neris. Um, like the it. reason why I went with them is obviously nobody suspected that Neris was actually going to come out and actually get a closer role in the Phillies bullpen. Um, so that's a huge value if you took a gamble on him, especially after how dominant he was down the stretch of 2018. Um, and Kirby Yates, I mean, what more can you say about that guy? Uh, just absolutely untouchable in San Diego right now. And you are not hurting for saves if you got him. Uh, the reason why I packaged them together is because they're the two closers who are known for their split finger. And Kirby Yates has obviously figured out a way to be extremely effective with the pitch uh, because he pairs it with a very, very well-commanded four-seam fastball. Hector Neris, at the end of 2018, from August 15th onward, he did basically what Kirby Yates is doing right now. He threw about 58% fastballs and 42% split fingers. He had a 55-0 strikeout percentage during that stretch. Now he is throwing the split finger 72% of the time. You can't have consistent success, and you're going to run into issues if you're constantly living out of the zone with an off-speed pitch. I understand that it is a good pitch, but once you allow guys on base, guys are going to be patient. And, we saw, and we've seen this happen a couple times with Neris this year. Uh, where he's run into issues. Uh, he ran into an issue with the Braves a couple a couple of games back um, where he ended up walking guys and uh, McCann ended up scooping that ball out into center field for a comeback victory. Um, but I think he's got that Kirby Yates upside if he can just figure out how to be a little bit more confident in throwing that four-seamer. So I wanted to make sure I packaged those two guys together as both values. I love it. Those are two really good ones. I saw Matt Modica uh, tweeted out today at CTM Baseball that uh, at this point in his career uh, – Hater has as many strikeouts as Luis Severino in like 60-something fewer innings, which just shows you how – and there's no slight on Luis Severino. It just shows you how dominant Hater's been. It's, it's crazy. amazing. Absolutely crazy. Because like we already talked about Severino. He's an elite, elite pitcher. <laughs> and then it's nuts. 
Uh, mine would be either Will Smith or Shane Green, just for where you got them in the draft. It's crazy, but they're both about to get traded, and you might lose all your value there pretty soon. So good first <laughs> half value, maybe not second half. Yeah. Um, that was fun. We like the fun part about that is I could have sat there and talked hundreds of more players. So there's been a bunch of really good value this year. I, I'd almost want to. I think it'd be a fun for someone that likes to write a lot or has time, and I might try to do it, but almost look back at the top like 100 picks and see how many. I think there's probably more busts there than there was value later, it feels like, but I could be totally wrong because you can field really good teams in these later rounds without an issue at all. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. You might have, uh, you might have drafted, might, you might have missed out on Travis Shaw, but gotten Mike Mustakis. Like exactly. that, that, that very well could have happened. Or, or you might have, uh, you might have missed on first base early, but you got Max Muncie and Joey Gallo at the top in the 100s. So, uh, just kind of, a, it's always good to kind of look back and let this be sort of a lesson when draft season rolls back around. Exactly, exactly. Uh, let's talk about some Fab Week 14 TGFBI Fab. Uh, Smata must be busy, and more power to him because he does not work for me. So he does not have to update the sheet on time. That's <laughs> fine. I will just go over the ones in my league, so we can't really make fun of anybody like I like to do uh, for overbidding or whatever. Just you know, all good fun. But um, looking at TGI, I'm, I'm in League Two, and I know for a fact I got a deal here because I got Brendan McKay for fifty-one dollars. The runner-up was forty-eight. I saw him go as high as like two ninety-five in some leagues. I, I I just wanted to see if I was the lowest winner, which is very possible. But Brendan McKay was dominant in his first start. Reports came out they're going to treat him like it was in the minor leagues. He pitches every sixth day. The day before the start, the day after the start, he rests. The other three days, he DHs. He was DHing tonight on Monday night for Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts on Brendan McKay? Because the Rays, when they call guys up, for the most part, most part, they usually play them. Yeah, he is just so exciting. I mean, the the debut happened um and it was it was absolutely tremendous uh great command good swing and miss stuff and now i guess he's i guess he's in the lineup tonight right as yeah, a dh tonight. tonight i mean I, you there's no you have no choice but to be super excited about this stuff and uh you know who knows if he's going to be shohei otani uh another guy who we probably could have could have talked about in terms of value um but he uh I, I, I like him. I mean, all, all the word the, the word around that organization is that he's the real deal. Um, I'm really, really hoping that he's up to stay. I know that this is a competitive team right now, uh, but it's an but it's an interesting roster in the way that they sort of utilize uh, their bench and their and their pitching staff. So uh, it would be really, really great if he continues to see some success for him to uh, for him to stay up here. Um, I, I I don't have him anywhere, unfortunately. Um, but man, I'm I'm super excited for him, and, I, and I'm just excited to watch him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But as long as he's got his chance, it should be pretty darn fun. A um, couple more fun ones because it wasn't like a huge week. A lot of low bids. Heck, there's only two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Only sixteen guys added this week in my league. So it tells you kind of wasn't a popular week as normal. But guys like Michael Lorenzen, uh, that red situation closing there with the Glacius pitching the more important innings most of the time. Lorenzen's got three saves in the last two weeks. His Sunday appearance wasn't great. Now they got Amir Garrett and others there. What's your thoughts on a guy like Michael Lorenzen? Uh, my thoughts are I went out and got him in two leagues. Um, <laughs> so so I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I kind of like his, I like his attitude. I think he's got sort of the attitude of a closer, anyone who – uh, is kind of tuned in with the players who are trying to market themselves. Uh, Lorenzen's got sort of a big uh, YouTube profile. He likes to, to record his workouts. Um, obviously, everyone everyone knows the the big bat and the and the base running with him. So I just kind of like him as a player. And I was tuned in uh, to MLB Network the night that 
they brought him in in that odd situation where Iglesias had gotten the the, the first out of the inning. Um, and I saw him get that save. And that was where, you know, I, I was in a, I was in a couple of leagues where I was desperate for for a closer. And, and I figured I might as well roll the dice. And he's gotten uh, a couple opportunities at this point. And, and he's and I know he had a little bit of a rough weekend, uh, but for the most part, he's pitched well this season. And uh, I think with the talent and just uh, the overall attitude, he seems to have that intangible attitude of a closer. So I'd be looking to go get him um, pretty much. Pretty much, I, th- I think even in 12-teamers, he's worth taking a shot on, especially if you're someone who's who's hurting at the uh, relief pitcher position. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I jumped on him. I think there's definitely, you know, if you're looking for saves, he might get you a handful each month, which will add up in the end. So there's something to look at there. Uh, Dominic Smith, big week last week, four home runs at 360. Uh, he's been playing a lot more often, playing in the outfield for the Mets. Uh, they're giving him run. He was a big-time prospect when it came to power in the minors. Uh, he was added for $16 in my league. What's your thoughts on a guy like Dominic Smith? Uh, I, I, the only thing I could say is really that prospect growth isn't linear, right? I mean, that's yep. the that's the golden the golden statement, and that's a it's it's a I, you know as a Phillies fan, obviously I don't I don't tend to root for the Mets, uh, but it is an exciting franchise. I mean, you know, per, who knows if you know the Pete Alonso and Ahmed Rosario, you know, well the Pete Alonso legit breakout and the Ahmed Rosario sort of mini breakout that's happening right now has him just a little bit more competitively inspired to be a part of what's happening. Um Conforto's continuing to swing a hot bat. I, I you know, it, it's hard to put numbers to it because when someone is so bad for so long and then starts to put it together, there are a lot of things that start going right for you as a hitter. So, uh hard to point to one thing. Uh it's good to see you know, a top prospect coming, coming forward and starting to have some success. So, um, you know, obviously if you're in deep leagues, 15 teamers, maybe if you're in five outfield, 12 team, uh, might be worth going out there. I'm, I'm sure you have somebody you can drop for a hot hitter. Um, definitely a guy to definitely keep your eye on. No doubt about it. Uh, Alex Dickerson was a common one. He's another hot hitter to talk about. Uh, Martin Perez, I had him early this year. I dropped him. Uh, he's a two starter this week. So a lot of the pickups are two start starters pretty much. But just overall, as you guys evaluate pitching a lot over there and hitters also, but Martin Perez started out like a gangbuster, really slowed down. Uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of what's going on with him? Do you trust him to find it again? Or are you just really concerned? What's your thoughts on Martin Perez? Yeah, he was a uh, he was one of those guys who was lagging a little bit in the two-strike realm. Um, and his CSW was always sort of sitting right around league average. Uh, so there was always there was always sort of the concern, you know, is he overperforming? But, uh, you know, he, he's obviously, he's obviously pitched well this season. He pitched a little, he pitched a little bit better down the stretch, but he seems to be regressing back to his old self, which is not a very, very good pitcher. Uh, I don't have all the confidence in the world that he's going to refine it again. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the pulse is right now. I think, uh, you know, it is Monday. I haven't gotten a chance to look at the new list that's come out. So I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, the pitcher list take at the moment, but uh, you know everyone should go over there and check out Nick's write up that he should have re- been releasing either tonight or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, I personally don't buy into Martin Perez for the rest of the season. I think he's sort of regressing back to who he is. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Sadly, um, some other pickups: Wade LeBlanc, Eric Sogard's been playing on William Domes. Um, One drop I want to ask you about because he's been kind of controversial as he's in a massive slump. Uh, Manny Margot's playing for him most of the time. Will Myers. If he was dropped in your league, like he wasn't mine, would you try to go grab him for like a dollar next week, or do you think something's seriously wrong there? Uh, there's definitely some stuff seriously wrong, but at the same time, one of the top ten hitters in terms of um, exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, which is an excellent, 
uh, indicator of your skill in terms of home run hitting ability. Obviously, contact is an issue for for Myers. Uh, so definitely someone that I'd be willing to throw a flyer out there on. I think the talent is there, certainly, but um, only if you're desperate. I, I, I think if you have a, a guy you can drop, go ahead and get him, but I wouldn't go actively seeking him. Totally agree with you there. Well, Dan, that's about ready time to wrap us up for the week. Lots of great conversation here. Um, before we leave, why don't you everybody know again where they can find you and what you got going on over at PitcherList? Yeah, so you can find me at Danny Hot Takes on Twitter. Um, and I, like I said, I'm I'm doing my best to, you know, get pieces out there. I, I, I kind of fall victim to only wanting to put interesting things to me out there. Uh, so every once in a while, you know, I'll come up with findings that I don't consider actionable. I really should just start writing about everything and, and just start sharing some of the stuff that I come up with. Um, that would that would be sort of a positive next step for me. Uh, but, 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 but right now, the, uh, the stuff that I'm looking into, for the most part, is uh, is sort of in the realm of exit velocity and launch angle. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Nick Jurley will have an article coming out in the same realm this week. Um, but I am looking very much into that flare and burner uh, section of batted balls on baseball savant and. Part of what I'm looking to sort of uncover right now, and this is my big project, is, is that a skill? I'm looking to see if there's an element of fragility that can be avoided as a hitter if you have an ability to sort of consistently perform above average in that particular realm. You know, not consistently necessarily be at the top of the range, but do you have the ability to maybe fight off pitches that the average hitter doesn't? Do you have the ability to, um, you know choke up on the bat with two strikes and, and deliver hits when other hitters could not? And do you pair that with a good approach in the rest of the counts that you have? So something I'm certainly interested in, something that I think is, um, you know, it, there might not be anything there, but nonetheless, I want to get down to some answers because I think that that's a vastly overlooked section of baseball savant. And I really want to start kind of bringing some of these batted balls to the forefront and see if we can unlock some more in the hitting landscape. Yeah, I think that could be pretty exciting. That, and that makes more sense why you kept mentioning flare and burners and all that because that's not talked about that often. So that would be another nice way to kind of evaluate uh, the whole hitter landscape, even pitcher landscape, who's given up flares and burners and all that kind of stuff that might be uh, another way to see who's been lucky and who hasn't been lucky. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. And we'll be looking forward to it. And um, we'll have to go check out your guys' link to the tabloid page on your uh, your Tableau page on your two-strike percentage guys as well that you and Nick have uh, put together. Yeah. So. Yeah, lots of good I, uh, stuff there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping a keep a lookout for that. Um, me and Nick are, are promoting that as much as possible. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some guys at Pitcher List, uh, and the rest of the staff who are helping to promote that as well. Um, and the only other thing that I'll plug, uh, just in general, is go check out Pitcher List. Um, if, if you don't follow the podcast uh, or read or read the uh, the site, which you should be, um, the stuff that Nick Pollock does is absolutely spectacular. Um, every single day, doing a roundup of every starting pitcher ranking a hundred starting pitchers. I don't know if anyone here, anyone listening has ever tried to do rankings, but doing a hundred <laughs> starting pitchers every it's, week. I mean, it's bad. It's, it really, it really is just it kind of, it's amazing the effort that he puts in. And if you don't follow the podcast, um, we just had two podcasts drop. One was an interview with Nick and Ross Stripling, who took an hour out of his day to really talk about his repertoire and, and, and dive in and give us some answers there. And uh, the more recent one that I think happened either today or yesterday, uh, I think today. it was today. I dropped today. Yeah, was um, was it was a full one hour interview with David Cohn. So uh, we're really, really starting to expand uh, 
and and do some really exciting things over there. So if you don't if you don't follow the site left uh, yet, I highly encourage you to. And also, we have our Discord server. Uh, if you support the site on Patreon, you get access to our Discord channel where you can actually interact with a lot of the writers and Nick himself. Um, and it's just a great place where guys are hanging out all day, talking about baseball, talking about other random things. We got channels to talk about off topic and and all and all these different things. So um, highly encourage you to check out the site. It's it's a great community to be a part of. Yep, I echo everything that Dan just said. They're a big fan of the PitcherList.com, big fan of Nick Pollock and the crew. That's why I, I keep trying to have more and more of you guys on there because there are so many of you guys that write over there that I still am starting to meet. And if I'm just starting to meet, I can only imagine uh, we need to get you guys out there more. And then, because uh, a lot of great stuff. I had a pleasure chatting with you tonight, Dan, and um, we'll definitely have to do this again because, like I said, I could have sat there and we could have probably talked for another two hours on All-Stars alone. And uh, just had a blast. So we'll definitely do this again sometime. Yeah, time, time and place, Bubba. You just let me know. Yeah, we'll do, man. I appreciate it. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 184 with Dan McNamara of PitcherList.com. Catch you guys later. Yeah.